Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we will continue on in the series, Truth and Love, as we go through the book of 2 John. The name of the sermon is called Nearer, My God to Thee, and Pastor David will be preaching from 2 John 4 through 8. Let's join Pastor David now. We are continuing through uh, 2 John through this uh, short but good small but not simple uh, book, this New Testament letter, Second uh, John, and we're entitling the series Truth and Love. Uh, so if you have access to Scripture, please do meet me, Second John. Today we'll be looking at Second uh, John 4 through 8. And as you're turning there, you might notice, I just said Second John 4 through 8, you might be thinking, that's a lot of chapters. Well, it's a short book, so just one chapter, those are the verses, Second John uh, f- verses uh, 4 through 8. Let me read it, and then we'll pray and look at God's Word together. Second John chapter, uh, sorry, Second John verse 4. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is the love, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the anti-Christ. Watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, we would just quiet our hearts before you, that we would quiet our hearts, Lord, and open ourselves up to you, Lord, that your word would uh, work in our hearts, Lord, that we would be transformed by it. And Father, I pray for all those who are listening to this message. Lord, would you, uh, by your Spirit, surround us, protect us, comfort us, encourage us, strengthen us, guide us, give wisdom, Lord, for our journey, courage as we walk this journey of, of faith. And so, Father, I pray that this time in your word would serve that end, or that we would as a result of encountering you today through music and scripture and prayer and the word and service, Lord, may we truly leave uh, transformed. So, Father, this is what we are here for, to receive from you. We ask that you would do just that through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I know uh, that I am speaking to many, perhaps, who enjoy hiking. And I know uh, some of you might enjoy just a stroll around your neighborhood or your community. Some of you might enjoy going to a forest preserve or finding a body of water, a lake or a river and hiking, walking together, perhaps you or perhaps you and your family or you and your spouse. Some of you I know kind of take it to the next level. And when everyone else is scheduling their vacations to tropical paradises, you're looking for the mountains. 
And some of you I know, perhaps I'm speaking to those who have been hiking through uh, some pretty serious terrain, terrain that you got to be careful, you got to know what you're doing, you got to be wise, that in some ways, hiking in various places, uh, maybe you find yourself in the Rocky Mountains, or maybe you find yourself on these beautiful mountain overpasses looking over all God's creation. There was a, a time in high school that I was on a short-term mission trip with the youth group that I was a part of at that time. And we were out west, and one of the activities on the way back home was to take a bunch of Midwestern high schoolers hiking in the mountains. And many of us had never done that before. And knowing that I'm speaking to a number of avid hikers and having had that experience myself, I'm going to ask you a question. Is the advice, stay on the trail... Is that there to help you or to challenge you? <laughs> Some of you read that and you say, challenge accepted. Some of you read that and you say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I will, I will follow the trail. Well, um, no surprise, there were some in our group that took that as wise advice. There were others in the group that took it as a challenge. And by the end of our time you could pretty much tell by the level of joy <laughs> who chose what path. There was, there was a group, and you can guess who it is, there was a group that came back that found rocks in places of their shoes. They did not know rocks could go. Briars and burrs on garments of their clothes they did not know briars and burrs could find. And by the end of this hike, on the end of this journey, it was very clear that those who stayed on the trail, <laughs> stayed on the trail. And if you've walked in the mountains before, you know staying on the trail it can be pretty serious. It can be somewhat even a risk to your life. And those who stayed on the trail, you could tell by, they said, wow, what, a, what an enjoyable hike. Those who went off the trail, it was a different story. <laughs> And in some ways, uh, there is similarities, isn't it, with walking along a trail to this whole journey of, of Christian discipleship. That in some ways, the Christian life can be described as a journey, as a walk, that as we follow God, as we follow His Word, as we follow His commands and His statutes and His teaching, in some ways, it's like a sign that says, stay on the trail. And when we stay on that trail, when we walk according to his design, his guidelines, his word, we find that there is reason for joy and delight and flourishing, that walking along his path brings joy. And, and, and catch the depth of that word, not, uh, sometimes not happiness, sometimes walking his journey can be hard, but joy, a a deep satisfaction and, and joy that comes not because of our circumstances, but no matter what the circumstances. And walking along his way is reason for joy. Look at verse 4. Uh, John writes, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And when, when Scripture says, uh, well, in, in 2 John here, when it talks to, and uses the word walking, both in 2 John and elsewhere in many places in the New Testament, this word walking is, is somewhat of a shorthand for lifestyle. I don't know how much we use the phrase still, but the, the American slang, walk the walk, 
It's a pretty close idea to what, when the New Testament says, walk or walking in the truth. It's talking about the whole, the whole picture of the lifestyle that we shape. It's conforming all of our lifestyle to God's Word. It's, it's submitting all of our life uh, under God's teachings. That's what it means to walk in, in, in conformity with the gospel, to walk in conformity with truth, that there is a way to walk out of step with the gospel that we have received, and there is a way to walk according to or in step with the gospel that we have received. And when we <laughs> stay on the trail... When we walk according to God's word, it, it brings joy. And one of, the, one of the most delightful things, I think, I can certainly speak for myself and definitely other ministry leaders, when, when, when we, the church, are the church to one another, when people are walking in accordance to God's design and God's word, whether that's in marriage or family or in our church community or in the world, that brings a deep measure of joy, of delight. And you see how important this is, and you can almost see John's pastoral, caring, shepherding, loving heart with the weightiness of the importance of what this means to John and what this means for us. When John says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. You can feel the weight, I think, of what John is, is saying here, that in many ways... He's acknowledging and seeing that some are, and that's wonderful, but some aren't. And that weighs, you can almost see it weighing on John because God's command, Scripture, God's Word, is not designed to be a ball and chain on the Christian life. It's not designed to weigh us down. God's Word is not designed to hold us back. God's teaching, God's Word, is not designed to take all the fun out of life or to de-spice life. God's Word is designed to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God's Word is designed to be like bumpers on a bowling alley. God's Word is designed to guide us and to help us navigate the path that will bring us most joy. That in some ways, whenever we walk outside of God's design, we're missing out. We're missing out on the fullness of who God has designed us to be. We're missing out on the fullness of, of, of what we have in Christ and what we have when we walk according to His way and His Word. It is we who are missing out when we stray from the path. And you can hear both in this rejoicing and in this word some, John's weighty heart, his care that, uh, for how important this is. And it is, it's sad when John says some. It is sad when the forgiven choose to embitter, when the loved of God choose to hate, when those offered truth choose to reject it, when those who have heard the truths of the gospel decide to say no to it, to those who have been offered mercy, who do not extend mercy, to those who have been offered grace that do not extend grace, it's a sobering and sad and weighty thing. And as sobering as that is, do you see the converse on the flip side just how much joy takes place when those things happen, when the loved of God love one another. That is reason for joy. When those who have received mercy extend mercy. To those who have received infinite grace, extend grace to others. To those who have been offered truth when they, when they receive it, all of those things are reason for profound joy. 
And parents and grandparents, you've seen this, haven't you? When, when you see either your children or grandchildren or brothers and sisters, your siblings or friends, perhaps your students, your roommates at school, when you see one another extending mercy when people need mercy, extending love when people need love, even when it's hard, what does that do to your heart? It fills it. Fills it full of joy because there is a deep resonance that is taking place that because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, when we walk in accordance with that, it doesn't just make us happy, although it might do that certainly, but there's a deep resonance of who we are. We're tapping into the reality of what has been made true of us. And when we reflect what Christ has reflected to us, there is reason for profound joy. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And if walking in truth is reason for joy, we are called, God's Word calls us to walk God's path of truth and love. In some ways, these are the two uh, guardrails on the alley. These are the two uh, lights and lamps unto our feet and path that we would walk on God's path, on God's way, and God's journey of truth and love, kind of two footsteps to the same body. As we used the metaphor last week, uh, two molecules to the same substance, truth and love. And God's Word calls us to walk in accordance with it. Look at verses 5 and 6. God's Word says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginnings, so that you should walk in it. Now, let me pause actually very uh, well at that last word in verse 6, that you should walk in it. What does it refer to? This is somewhat of a side note, but one of the ways as you are studying Scripture is you're reading God's Word. One way to enrich your study of Scripture is whenever you find a word it or this or that or these or those or him or her, ask yourself, what's it refer to? And that's one of the ways as you're studying Scripture, you can really in some ways slow down and, 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 and think through what does every single word in God's Word point to? What, what is it referring to you? And it will enrich your reading of God's Word. And believe it or not, this little word, it, at the end of verse 6, uh, different commentators uh, land differently on exactly what it is referring back to. Is it referring back to uh, the command uh, to walk in truth? Uh, in verse 4, is it referring to walking in truth? Is it referring to them in general? This is the commandment that you have heard. Is it referring to uh, the command to love one another as Jesus has told us? And I think in some ways this little word it at the very end of verse 6 is referring to the wholeness of this command to walk in truth and love. That in some way to, to speak of one is to speak of all three. That you can't speak of one without speaking of the other. As we mentioned before, that this journey of truth and love are inseparable from one another. That when God says that we are to walk according to his command, in some ways is the summary of his command. Uh, we see else in, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 40, Jesus says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And what Jesus is saying here and what John is referring to here, and again, somewhat of a little side note, this is the sixth of six times in the letters of John that John reminds us of Jesus' command to love one another. It echoes back to Jesus' words of the great commandment, love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, in, these, in this great commandment, this first and second great command, all the law and the prophets hang on these things. That in some ways, Jesus is not saying that these words undo the Old Testament. He's not saying that. He's saying these words, in some ways, summarize it. Imagine that. That Jesus is saying all the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament scriptures say and affirm and point to this idea that we are to love our God and to love others. And this is that path of truth and love that we are called to walk. And this is a path of truth and love that Christians, we are called to walk no matter what way the cultural winds happen to be blowing on any given generation or any given moment. And I think this is important for us because as we walk God's journey, as we walk according to God's designs, sometimes, sometimes the cultural winds will be at our back. That happens here and there. All the way throughout history, if you took a snapshot of every, every single moment in history, you're going to find cultural winds that are toward, uh, along with or at our backs of Christians. Sometimes the winds are going to be blowing in from the side. And sometimes the winds are going to be blowing square in our face. Yet God's command remains to follow him, to walk faithfully according to his dime, no matter where the cultural winds happen to be blowing at every, any given moment of human history. Sometimes they're behind us, and that might be nice for a season. Don't count on it being there forever. Sometimes they blow in from the side, and we might need to lean in to stay faithful to God's Word. Sometimes they blow right in our face, and we've got to lean forward as we walk in accordance to God's design and God's way and God's Word. And we are commanded here to walk in both truth, verse 4, and in love, that we would love one another. And we are called to love in such a way that we do not change God's Word in order to love, but that we are faithful to God's Word no matter what. And in that being faithful to God's word is the best way to love others. That we cannot love in, in contradiction to truth. And we cannot walk in truth without this expression of love. And God calls us to walk on this path. He calls us to, asks us to, urges us to stay on the trail. You will find briars and burrs in your socks that you did not know could find their way there cuts and bruises and scrapes when we walk away from God's design and God's word and God's way. Stay on the trail, God's word is saying, and walk this path of truth and love. And it's so important. Why? Because you will, dear Christian, you will feel deceptive tugs at the human heart that try to draw you away from the trail. And this is not an, an if kind of a topic. It's a when kind of topic. There will be moments on your Christian journey where you are forced with decisions of, will I stay faithful to God's word, or am I going to take a slight detour off the trail? 
And sometimes there are going to be tugs at your heart that pull you and are trying to draw you away from God's Word, away from the gospel, and away from His design for you and your life. And sometimes those uh, deceptions or that tug at your heart can come internally. Sometimes that tug at your heart can be an external pressure, an external force. Might be a pressure that you face, almost a type of, of peer pressure, maybe in your workplace or your school if you're a student. There will be tugs at your heart that try to draw you away from the trail. In some ways, we don't do the Christian journey in a vacuum, do we? We don't do a Christ, the Christian journey just uh, um, as an intellectual or academic exercise. We do the Christian journey in real life with real struggles and real temptations and, and real weaknesses that all of us have. God is calling us to stay on this trail and to be aware that there will be moments when you are tr- when temptations or pressures might seek to draw you away from Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. Hear God's word. It says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, verse 8, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And we can see, actually, in verse 7, in a short clause, uh, John is saying many deceivers have gone out in the world, those who do not confess. Here it is, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And in a very short clause, we see uh, some pretty profound affirmations of who Jesus is and what truth is. In some ways, we're seeing the converse, the flip side of that conversation. Uh, John, God's Word is saying that uh, a deception... Uh, an attempt to draw away from the gospel either calls into question his coming, it calls into question if he is the Messiah or not, and it calls into question his coming in the flesh. And John is writing in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to a local Christian community who has, commentators say, has experienced uh, um, a fellowship of Christian um, witness and a church, and some who have flown the banner of Christianity have now left and denied the coming of Christ in the flesh and in some way are, are stirring up hostility or dissension or pressure on the believers who remain. So John is writing these letters, and that's why we went through the entire book of 1 John, to stay faithful to the gospel, to, to know what we have in Christ. And we see here another snapshot, another glimpse, and we don't know exactly, we don't know exactly all the details and the nuance of of the challenges that this church that John is speaking to were facing. We don't know exactly, but we can infer some things from these three words, the coming of Christ in the flesh. In some ways, there's, there's a way to twist or distort the gospel by calling into question his, that he is Messiah. This word, Jesus Christ, Christ is talking about the Messiah, the promised Messiah, all the way through the Old Testament, that all of Scripture has been pointing forward, that there would be a greater and second Adam, that there would be a prophet like Moses, there would be a king like David, that all the kings that failed in the Old Testament were pointing to the king that we long for that would never fail, that there would be coming the, the ultimate Passover lamb, there'd be coming the ultimate uh, substitutionary ram, remember the ram that took Isaac's place on the altar that's pointing forward to a coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and is making claims all throughout the Bible that He is God, to deny that is in some way to distort and deny the very identity of Christ. 
It's a way to call into question, well, is he really God? Many deceivers have gone out in the world, perhaps calling into question, is he really God? Is he really the promised anointed one that has been prophesied since the very beginning? Is he? John says, that's a deception. Perhaps we call into question uh, God's deity. Another way that this deception can, can take form is to calling into question if he is truly man. Uh, John is speaking to a church that apparently there were deceivers that were going out that were denying that he has come in the flesh, denying that he was fully man, denying that Jesus uh, came and walked this earth and did stuff like, like physically walk, like eat food, like get tired and sleep, that he was fully man. Or there was some sort of denial of his coming. Now in this word, the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, this is not a, uh, just kind of a meander, a stroll. This coming is not describing just kind of a, a world tour, a, a trip that Jesus decided to take before he returned back to heaven. This coming is a coming with a mission. This coming is a coming with a purpose, that he came for a reason, that he was a savior coming to save. So in some ways, the deception that uh, John's listeners are facing is either someone, uh, deceiver is calling into question that he is coming as Savior, that he is fully God, or that he is fully man. And again, we don't know the exact nature of all the nuances of what that looked like, but we do know that John's listeners are facing this um, wind in their, in their face, if you will, that those who are denying Jesus, John calls them deceivers. He says, watch yourselves. Uh, such one is a deceiver and the anti-Christ. And in some ways, again, as we looked at in 1 John, this word, as John uses it, is not so much describing a larger-than-life individual or person. It's describing uh, an ideology, anything that is opposed to or opposite of or anti-Christ. And any one of these deceptions would fall under that. That's what John's listeners were facing. And in some ways, there's, there's almost a comfort, isn't, that, isn't there? That as we as believers face various challenges in our life, in society, and world today, we're not alone. We're not the first Christians who have walked this journey, who have faced uh, cultural winds in our face or cultural winds coming in from the side that are trying to blow us or draw us away from God's design the listeners that John was writing to were facing uh, deceptive tugs on their hearts. What are the deceptive tugs that pull on our hearts? In many ways, that's a question that might have dozens and dozens and dozens of answers. I'm going to pull out five. What are some of the deceptive tugs that we, as believers of Christ, trying to walk faithfully according to His Word and His design, what are some of the deceptive tugs that we face? Here's five of them. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Scripture in all of redemptive history, the gospel that we affirm is not the gospel of, number one, secularism. In some ways, the gospel of secularism is going to look at Jesus not as God, but as perhaps an inspirational figure who is here to help inspire us to progress past some of the regressive parts of Scripture, some of the embarrassing parts of Scripture that, we, that are really now harmful to society. Have you heard echoes of that in your world, on your news feeds? That's not the true gospel. That's a deceptive tug on our heart, a deceptive tug that says, yeah, sure, Jesus is here to, he said some inspirational things. 
And he's really here to inspire us to get beyond and to get past some of these embarrassing things in the Bible that are really outdated and are harmful and we really don't need to do anymore. That's a deception. That's a deception. That's number one. Number two, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we affirm, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, the true gospel, is not, number two, the gospel of general spirituality. And this gospel of general spirituality uh, might just look at Jesus as, you know, a religious figure that came along, just like all sorts of religious figures, that in some ways is designed to uh, coexist amongst a bunch of other religious options. It's a view that somewhat sees Jesus as kind of an option on the buffet line, something that might spice up your salad as you go through the salad bar, but, you know, take it or leave it, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can come at this thing of spirituality. Friends, that, the gospel of general spirituality, is not the message of the true gospel, the biblical gospel, number two. And by the way, these all, these all deserve their own series. These all deserve their own books. So I might frustrate you with how fast I'm going to go through these. But number three, the true gospel, the biblical gospel, is not the gospel of the American dream. And the gospel of the American dream essentially is going to look at God and see him, look at Jesus as kind of a divine butler, kind of a cosmic sidekick or a, a divine intern that's here to kind of fulfill our hopes and dreams, that we kind of give him commands and duties. And it's kind of nice to have a cosmic sidekick, isn't it? Because we have a whole bunch of dreams and hopes and things that we want to see accomplished. And the gospel, the gospel of the American dream in some ways uh, sees prayer as a bell to ring for God to come to do our bidding. In some ways it reduces scripture to, to kind of helpful hints for hurtful habits or to kind of uh, self-help tips that might enhance our life. But do you see? It's not seeing God as God. <laughs> it's not seeing Him as, as someone to bow to. It's not seeing ourselves as broken and needing in a Savior. The true gospel is not the gospel of the American dream. How about another one? Number four. The true message of the gospel is not the message of general religion. Now catch this difference. The gospel of general religion is going to look at Jesus as somewhat our second chance that if I first do not succeed, I can try, try again. And at the heart of the good news of general religion is that it's all up to us. That it's up to us to succeed. It's up to us to try to earn God's favor. It's up to us to get back to God. And the gospel of general religion is just going to look at Jesus as kind of a second chance. Maybe try harder next time. That's not the message of grace. It's not the message of the true gospel. Here's another one. Five of five. Just five uh, short but brief things. I think different ways that the deceptive tug in our hearts seeks to take us off the trail of God's design. Fifth, the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the gospel. Uh, it's not seeing the gospel as a Trojan horse to kind of house ideological foot soldiers in. Are you with me? That there is a way to look at uh, political ideologies and say, Scripture or the Bible might have implications, absolutely, for all areas of our life, but a false distortion of that gospel is to call those ideologies the gospel themselves. And the good news of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, is not the good news that Christianity is just a Trojan horse to put ideological foot soldiers in to kind of sneak them in to do the real change what the world really needs. My friends, that's a deception. In all of these different ways, five, if I could imagine maybe many, many more, 
of different ways, God's word is calling us to continue to stay on the trail, to walk this path of truth and love, to walk according to God's design, to be faithful to the gospel. And it's so important that John is saying, watch yourselves, be, be mindful, keep an eye out on our own hearts. Because these tugs tug at all of us in different ways. The siren call along this journey of walking in Christ's design seeks to draw us away. False road signs saying, go this way, when Scripture really says, go that way. My friends, stay on the trail. Because if getting the gospel right or wrong... It's not hyperbolic to say it's a, it's a matter of life and death. Adhering to the true or the false gospel is, is a matter of, of true and genuine life and death. That's why he says in verse 8, Watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have worked for, but, wait, but may win a full reward. That if Christ is not fully God, if Christ is not fully God, then he is not a sufficient Savior. If he is not fully God, then he does not have the power to save us. He doesn't have the power to do anything for us. And we lose the gospel. If Christ is not fully human, if he is not fully man, then we don't have a compatible substitute. He can no longer empathize with us. He can no longer swap places so compatibly with us. And then we lose the gospel. If we deny his full divinity, if we uh, deny his full humanity, or if we replace him altogether with an idol, something else that we are looking to fulfill all the God-sized needs that we have, something else that we are trusting in to deliver on all the God-sized hopes that we have, if either we deny his divinity, deny his humanity, or just replace Christ altogether with an idol, my friends, we lose the gospel. We lose our hope. We lose what, what we have been working for. We lose uh, uh, the truth that the world needs. And that's why John is saying, watch yourselves. And he's not saying this to evoke, you know, panic. He's not saying this to evoke kind of this weird version of, of a witch hunt. But what he is saying is, take the gospel seriously. Take it seriously because it matters and it's a matter of, of life and death. And do you see why there is such reason for joy when we know it and walk in it, encourage others to walk in it, when we see people walking in accordance to God's design and God's way, it brings us joy because there is one God-man. There is one Savior King. There is, is one true Messiah. There is one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ. And He is the one that we walk according to His way. We find true joy. And I think these verses are showing to us, telling us, that joy on the journey, joy in the Christian journey, is found in closeness to Christ. That joy on this journey of discipleship, of walking in truth and love, if we want to find joy along the way, it's found in, in closeness, in close proximity to Christ. Whether that means trusting Christ for the first time, if you haven't made that step, or believers, the closer we are to Him, the closer we walk to Him, the greater the joy, the greater the path of Christian flourishing, the more we are walking in accordance with the design that He has given us. So walk with Him. Stay on the trail. Stay faithful to Him. 
<laughs> submit yourselves under him. And as you walk, may you find true joy. Let's pray toward this end. Father, we ask that you would, as you already have promised in your word, go before us, Father. Walk beside us, come behind us, surround us, Lord. And as we walk this journey, I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to thoughtfully navigate a turbulent world, to thoughtfully navigate the, the potholes, the deceptive tugs in our heart, that as we face pressure or challenges along this path that we are walking, Lord, that you would make us stronger through them. As we sang earlier, Lord, that the fires that we walk through would merely be there to remove the dross and refine our souls. So, Father, I, I pray for all those who are listening to this message. Lord, I know that each and every person here today is at a different place on their journey a different part of the path. And Lord, some I know that I'm speaking to are in seasons of, of sunshine and joy. We thank you for that. We celebrate with those who are rejoicing. And Lord, I know that there are some here on their journey who are in valleys. Some here, Lord, are in their, on their journey in a season of, of rain and confusion when the path is not clear, when we don't know what the next step is. Lord, I pray that your closeness would be their comfort, that your word would be their guide, Lord, and that your grace would sustain them and carry them through every step of the way. And Lord, when we fall exhausted, may we fall into the hands of an inexhaustible Savior who carries us and sustains us as we go, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.